We ended last week with the emergence of the Hagerman's horse, the first species termed Equus. And if you can travel back in time with me again as we tell their story and the story of how we got to today's versions of horses and donkeys and and all the wild equids, Hagerman's horse emerged in North America. And two and a half million years ago, we're in the height of an ice age. So you have very large ice sheets coming down from the Arctic all the way through Canada into parts of the northern United States. And then very similarly in Europe and Asia, you have these large ice sheets pushing down. And Hageman's horse was in Alaska, modern-day Alaska, around this time. So they they had crossed these ice sheets and, and, and eked out a living in the cold to get to any sort of food. They had to scrape away that ice and snow to, to get at bits of grass, to maybe eat lichen or other things that other herbivores in, in today's modern north eat to survive. And you can just see this animal that has the face of a donkey, ears of a horse, the body of a horse, with probably a short mane like we see in Przewalski horses and zebras, probably striping throughout its body. And then you could see what we call a small band of horses with maybe a, a resident stallion, a few mares, maybe some foals, yearlings, two-year-olds, eking out, surviving this frigid environment. And for some reason, some pressure or something got into them and said, we're going to push west. And they turned their noses towards Asia. And at the time, the, the ocean is frozen, what's today is the modern Bering Sea. As they start to cross this massive ice sheet in this frozen part of the ocean, they scrape and there's no food. There's nothing to eat. So now they have to depend on their reserves, whatever they have within themselves to push the 50, 60, 70, 100 miles, the hundreds of kilometers to get into Asia. And they did this. And they walked and walked and walked until finally they set their hooves onto the mainland in Asia, which is modern-day Siberia. Then they scraped some more and they might have found a little bit of grass, maybe just a little bit surviving, maybe just a little bit of lichen. And then they probably migrated a little bit further south until they finally found the plains, the grasslands of Asia. This happened. This happened two and a half million years ago. And this small band, and maybe multiple small bands made this, this journey, now had the rest of the world under their hoof prints. And this is where we pick up the story. And Secretariat being led, he is numbering... The horse. And the horse is the best thing in the world, isn't it? So I suppose one's always, I've always loved them, really. Ever since I was a little girl. Everybody's in line, and they're off. The secretary of the way very well has good position. The love. Oh, I never thought owning a horse could mean so much to me. secretary not taking the lead. The madness. What kind of a horse is that? I've never seen a horse like that before. Lightning now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Their story. Mustang is more involved in the, in the early development of this breed than I thought they were, but they were. Has opened a 22 lead. He is going to be the triple 
welcome to Mad About Horses. Telling the story of, of Equus, uh, today's modern horses, is, is, is always a fun one. It, I always get excited when I, I think about the origins of today's modern horse, horses, horse breeds, uh, the other equids, the donkeys, the zebras. Why do they look the way they do? Why do they act the way they do? So just for a quick recap, in last week's episode, we, we, we went from you know 55 million years ago to about where we are today, two and a half million years ago for this podcast. So we've covered that that span of history with Eohippus standing 12 inches at the shoulder, four toes on the front feet, three toes on the back feet, forest dweller, eating fruits, nuts, those things. And then over the millions of years, they have to adapt as the forests give way to grasslands and, and the plains of North America. So those legs start to change. They go from the four to the three toes with mesohippus. And then we see them getting a little bit bigger and those three toes keep receding up. Their teeth are changing as their diets change to where we get to right before Equus, the dinohippus or the protohorse that is about the size of a pony, you know, 14 hands, which is just under five feet tall or or one and a half meters at the shoulder. So, and that's where we get to Equus, where it's just a little bit larger. Now, why does this all matter, right? Why, why, again, I go back to, I think we should respect these animals and their, their history and their story. And so it, telling it is, is giving back to them, understanding where they came from. But it also gives us a lot of insight into how our, our equids today, and that's that's besides just horses, but our donkeys and the asses and zebras and things like that. Why do they behave the way they do? Why do they eat what they eat? Why do we have to be so careful with what we feed them? You know, how did they survive these millions of years? And how does that give us insight into their mentality? So when we go to to train them to to do the things that we ask of them and and so many more reasons. That's why their history matters. And next week, we'll jump into domestication and, and that whole process and why we were able to domesticate them to where they, we have horses where I've seen small children when I was a small child and led horses, but also we see small children leading horses today and, and why they're our best friends. So this is a, a way for us to, to respect and admire them. And to also bring it back to you, you are part of that story. If you care for horses, ride horses, you're part of their history. You are impacting their history, whether you you think you are or not. You are. You definitely are. So it's it's a fun way to 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 look at it, to take a big, big global view of it, and then get down to how it affects you every day while you go out and 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 touch your animals and and feed them and ride them and give them love. So that's why we tell this story. Now to come back to the Hagerman's horse and why we call these animals equids or equus, where did that term come from? And it was just a few hundred years ago 
where in Sweden, Carl Linnaeus, he's the, the taxonomist. He's the father of taxonomy. He's the one that classified all of these species and, and developed the system that we did. And, and as he was classifying all these animals, he looked at the class of, of now we call equids and said, okay, what are we going to call them? And he coined the term equus, but he got it from Latin. It's Latin for the word horse. So equus, Macedonian Greek, that's, I'm probably not saying that right. And I apologize, but that's where we get this term that we call equids, equidae, equine, equines. That is where it originated from. And so once we were able to classify it, then we started going in the, the, the scientific classification that we use today. So equus simplicidens, that's the Hagerman's horse. Eohippus, that's where that came from. And then today we have Equus caballus for our horses, or some people still call it Equus ferris caballus. Equus ferris is the scientific name for the wild horse, but they're extinct because we domesticated them all. And we'll talk about that more next week. But the term equus is the genus. So for our donkeys, their scientific name is equus asinus, or some people put equus africanus asinus. That's their scientific name because they come from the, the African wild ass. So I know the scientific names gets a little confusing. That's why we'll just probably try to use the, uh, the regular terminology. So want to jump back and, and, and start telling the story of how we got to all these species today. And that starts with the Hagerman's horse. That's where we left off. Uh, the fossils date back almost 4 million years, but it wasn't until two and a half million years ago that they took those first steps across the ice sheet successfully. Doesn't mean ones earlier might not have tried it, but we do trace them into Siberia or Asia today. Now, what's also interesting for our South American listeners is there were ancient horses there. So horses were in North America. They only had the ability to migrate down into South America about 3 million years ago. And this is because the Isthmus of Panama, what's modern day Panama, the Panama Canal, that wasn't connected until about 3 million years ago. Only then did you have horses migrating south, and then we had some species migrating north. Uh, one of the, the big ones is the opossum. It is a, a marsupial that lives in North America. Uh, the, their ancestors date back all the way into Australia that, crazy enough, migrated from Australia to Antarctica before it was frozen into South America and then eventually up into North America. But taking this back to the horse, the horse did live in South America and they went extinct about the same time they went extinct in North America about 10,000 years ago. For millions and millions of years, horses lived in the Americas and then 10,000 years ago, at the end of the last ice age, they went extinct. Still a lot of debate why uh, early humans or early settlers of the Americas are thought to have played some role in their extinction along with mammoths, saber-toothed cats, and all of those. Now, the Barian Land Bridge theory is horses, Equus simplicidens, Hagerman's horse, migrated across this giant sea. And you're talking the closest points, 55 miles 
or 90 kilometers. That's just the closest points today. So you're talking 100 miles, you know, hundreds of miles that these horses had to migrate. Uh, when they cross the, the ice sheet, obviously when it's frozen over the ocean, there there is no food. So they had to, you know, depend on any reserves they had. I imagine they ate snow and other things to get across. Then when they get to Asia, they just eking out survival. I mean, just wow. Mind blown thinking about how these rustic looking Hagerman's horses traveled so far with so little and then were able to get a, a foothold in Asia. And then once they were able to do that, they had the rest of the world under their hooves. And this is where they start to radiate out and, and crossing the plains of Asia down into Africa. Now, today's equids, I think it's important to kind of lay out who they are. And then as I tell this story, you can kind of start putting the puzzle pieces together and you can kind of go, oh, okay, I see how that is. And in a future podcast, we'll, we'll, we're going to go a little bit deeper into, into these different uh, species of, of equids. Uh, but again, just a kind of broad overview of what we have today. Now, scientists have divided equids into two lines. There's the cabaline line and the non-cabaline line. The cabalines are the, the, the quote-unquote true horses. So these are our domestic or wild feral horses, and then the Przewalski's horses. Then the non-cabalines are the others. So our zebras, our wild asses, and our donkeys. Now, I've, I've already said the Equus ferris, that's the original wild horse. These are the, the wild types that were captured by humans and domesticated. Today's feral horses or what we consider wild horses, say, in the American West, those are from domestic horses. So there is no Equus ferris alive today. They, they died out years and years and long time ago. The Przewalski horse is probably the only true wild horse uh, that we have left. On today's domestic horses, Equus cabalis, we have over 60 million in the world, and in a future episode, definitely going to break that down, where they are, where they, where they live. The Przewalski horse, very interesting, and it does differ. It, it, they are definitely different horses. One way to exemplify that is our domestic horses have 64 chromosomes. So in each cell, there's 64 chromosomes. That, that's their DNA. So in each cell, they have 64 and that is 32 from mom, 32 from dad, comes together and makes the full. Przewalski horses have 66 chromosomes. So they are definitely a different species of equid. They, they are not subspecies, closely related, obviously, but definitely different. Now, the Przewalski's horse almost went extinct 50 years ago. A, a very interesting study with them. Uh, they were down to a dozen breeding animals spread out all around the world. And about 50 years ago, scientists came together and said, we need to save this animal. We love this horse. We need to save it. Uh, conservation uh, organizations came together. Zoos came together. And now we have over 2,500 Przewalski horses 
and they have be, been reintroduced in the wild in China and Mongolia. So, so a very good success story there for conservation. Now that's your cabalines. The non-cabalines are zebras and wild asses. So our zebras, we have three species today. The Grevy zebra, which is endangered, only 2,500 left, lives in Eastern Africa. Interestingly, has 46 chromosomes. So really different from our horses. The plain zebra is near threatened with extinction, but there's about a million. It's just near threatened means that their population trajectory is trending downward and has for years. So they are on their way to extinction, but conservation organizations are working hard to save them. They have 44 chromosomes. And then you have the mountain zebra, which is vulnerable to extinction, but there's about 35,000 of them left. Again, conservation experts are saving them, working to save them. 32 chromosomes. So you can see pretty different from our cabaline horses. Now getting to the, the asses or wild asses, uh, the African wild ass, that is the original donkey. Only animal left is the Somali wild ass, critically endangered less than 700. We think maybe only a couple hundred. Uh, I did some research on them and in a future podcast, I can talk about that. I was very fortunate to, to, have, to work with a conservation group back in the United States. Uh, 62 chromosomes, they live in Ethiopia today. The Asiatic wild asses, there's, there's two that, uh, different names, but the onager and kulon are the, the two recognized uh, the onagers near threatened with 55,000 animals, and they have a pretty large range from Mongolia down to India to Arabia. And then the Kulon is endangered with only maybe 1,300 animals left, uh, lives in Turkmenistan, and they have 54 chromosomes. So you can see all these differences. And then we get to our little sweethearts, the donkeys. There's about 53 million worldwide, and they have 62 chromosomes because the, they came from wild asses, the Africans. And just to throw this in here, interesting factoid, when we make mules, so that is a female horse with a male donkey, we get 63 chromosomes because the donkeys have 62, horses have 64, they split the difference, and that's why they're sterile. So we'll talk about hybrids in a future podcast. Okay, so those are what we have today. That's what's left. All the species that are, that are hanging on to existence. Over 100 million equids around the planet, mostly horses, followed by donkeys, and then our wild equids. Now, how'd we get here? How'd we go from two and a half million years ago, the Hagerman's horse, because that is the originator of all these species. So zebras go back to them, the, the wild asses go back to them, horses go back to them, Przewalski horses go back to them. The Hagerman's horse is our originator of our modern equids. So when they step foot in Asia and they're able to branch out, we, we do see somewhat of an explosion of species. Some of these ones die out and then others will evolve into the asses and the zebras and then the wild horses. Now, like I said earlier, this was a time of chilly atmosphere, grasslands, snow. It's an ice age, low quality vegetation high fiber foods, so grasses and, and any other coarse vegetation that they could eat. So it's similar to what they survive on in the wild today. So in the Western United States, you have horses in the deserts of Nevada and Idaho and 
and they're able to survive. Now, compared to our domestic horses, probably these wild horses are not thriving as much, meaning they're not living into their 20s, 30s, 40s for some horses, where today, you know, our diets are so specialized and we're given the best nutrition. So they're living longer, much like us, you know, much like our own evolution. But all of these species, pretty much digestive tracts, physiology similar. It's just a little bit, some moderations here and there with that. The other aspect of this is we don't have a huge clear picture and say, okay, this species became zebras, this species became horses, this species became wild asses. We have some idea, but once they get into Asia, it gets the it gets a little muddy. And Vera Eisenman, she's one of the the world's most well-respected paleontologists with equids, and she's she's from France. And she just proposed that, you know. It's difficult to show these relationships because all the equids look so much alike. It's just these minor changes that we see. Because again, remember, we're going back to just looking at bones. We, we don't have soft tissues. So looking at the evolution, it's just these minor changes over time to get to all the different types we have today. I mean, it was... It, it, it had been only a million years when Przewalski horses and zebras diverged. So the differences in the two, they're negligible. They're really tiny. And then she also said our methods that we use as far as just looking at bones is probably not appropriate because you're not going to catch those changes. But, you know, we, we do see genetics and DNA starting to play a role. So over time, this picture is going to get more clear. Because there's still scientists studying this, you know, uh, year in, year out. Now, looking specifically, Hagerman's horse is it. It's the only species that we know of that migrated from North America into Asia. There might have been others. We just haven't found the bones yet. But Hagerman's horse was very successful. We, we have found many specimens in, in Siberia or parts of Asia. We do know horses went extinct in North America 10,000 years ago and did not come back until they were reintroduced by the Europeans in the 1500s. Now, an interesting study that that kind of showed some of this, and like I said, I, I, I like to go into the scientific lit literature, and, and this was uh, Cirilli and others, it's evolution of old world equus and origin of the zebra ass Claudae, published in 2021 in Nature, which is one of the, the top scientific journals in the world. And so very high quality study. And the authors looked at, just to kind of give you an insight into what they do, they looked at 129 different fossils. And again, these are just the ones from Hagerman's horse onward. They're not going back to North America. They're just focused on, on these species. So they had uh, 72 skull or cranial measurements, 40 mandibular, so you're looking at teeth, 17 autopodia, so looking at the legs, over 30 different species from Hagerman's onward. And they were just trying to see how we, how we got to zebras, right? So that's what they're kind of teasing out. One of the ones that they made note of that kind of shows these slight alterations, that's why, again, it's difficult, is there is the, the China horse, or it's Equus, Quingyang gensis, 
hope I said that right. And it, it aged about 1.2 million years ago. Very, 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 very similar to Hagerman's horse, but it differed slightly with just a smaller, slender palate. It was a minor difference. And that made it a different species. So part of you may be wondering, okay, why would it change? And it's probably because the diets probably changed a little bit. And there was uh, that palate might have made them able to eat different types of grasses or different types of forages. And those animals were able to survive longer and spread their genetics, right? So uh, one of the iterations, and there's, there's over 24, if not more, iterations of, of equus from Hagerman's horse onward that leads to our modern day equids. One of the ones that they highlighted going down, this is probably a few iterations down the road, two or three, was Equus stenonis uh, didn't have a, a common name, but is an early zebra. So had the physiology of the zebra, the skull shape of a zebra, very zebra-like, and then it was just like one or two more iterations where we get to the modern-day zebras, which emerged about 700,000 years ago. Other data that's interesting is uh, the wild asses and, and Hagerman's horse diverged about 2 million years ago. So those, those early uh, equus, one of the ones is equus salmoniensis, is that they were, were kind of saying it, it, it played a part in the wild asses. And it's about this time where we see the Asiatic wild asses and then the, the African wild asses come, come emerge about one and a half million years ago. Now, how we got to Przewalski horses and Equus ferris, that isn't really clear right now. I'm sure genetics one day will, will kind of paint that picture for us. But we do know, like I said, they, they are different species. Uh, Przewalski horses are not our domestic horses of today. Close relatives, yes, but not what we domesticated years ago. It is thought that the Przewalski horse was once attempted to be domesticated, but wasn't uh, successful long-term. And again, we'll talk about that more next week in next week's podcast. Not to be remiss or, or forget about South America, what's interesting is even though we see this radiation out of Asia into Europe, down into Africa of Equus, you still have, they went extinct only 10,000 years ago, so you still have them evolving in North America. And if we go down to South America, they actually evolved into a different genus, and it's called Hippodon. So the horses down in South America, where there's millions and millions of horses today, uh, they had their own genus of horses down there. And again, those went extinct when the others did. So that's kind of the, 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 the quick of how we got to Hagerman's horse to where we are today. We have our modern wild types. And it was like this for, for the last million years. We saw zebras coming out 700,000 years ago. Humans emerge anywhere from 500,000 years ago onward. But it wasn't until about 6,000 years ago, somebody somewhere decided, you know what? I want to ride that thing. And they jumped on the back. And we're going to tell that story next week. So stay tuned.
Right, welcome back. So just some housekeeping. I, again, I just want to apologize to any equid or equine paleontologist if any of my information is outdated. I really respect the area of research that you do. And, and again, it's not my area of expertise. I'm an equine physiologist. And I, I, I really believe telling their history and knowing their history is very important. So any class I teach and doing this podcast, I just felt you, you have to start here. You have to start with the story of, of how the horse became the horse. And we're, we're, we're going to continue on a little bit with domestication, but then we're going to start talking about what makes a horse a horse and where they are. Where are all these horses in the world? I mean, you're 60 million. It, that's a lot of horses. And everywhere I go, every country I visit, I've been very fortunate to be able to travel some. There's horses and donkeys and other equids. So we're going to talk about that. But again, my, I, I tip my head to uh, the paleontologists out there doing this work. It's fascinating work and it is very much appreciated. Then just for some quick reminders, if uh, you have any comments on the podcast or there's any topics you would like us to cover in the future, you can always email me at podcast at madbarn.com. You can also find Madbarn on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, you can go to madbarn.com. There is a wealth of information on there on our articles uh, from equine health, reproduction, uh, nutrition. Again, monitor that space. We've got some other things in development. We just feel like this information needs to be out there and accessible to everyone. Wherever you live in the world, you should be able to now connect to a source, a reputable source, and say, I want to learn about horses. Where do I go? And here you go. Here's a podcast. We have other things in development, but there's lots of articles host read articles, things like that out there for you to access and make this freely available to everybody because that's our company's philosophy. So enjoy, comment on social media, follow us on social media. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and stay tuned for more episodes coming your way.